Good morning. Christ is our only hope. And it's in that hope that we gather and we worship. You're a generous and loving church family. And it's because of the hope that is within you that you do so. We're going to jump into God's Word this morning. I'm Jake. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to jump into God's Word this morning. We are in the book of Daniel. So if you uh, turn to that book, it's in the Old Testament. Um, We've been looking at Daniel um, as it historically happened during Israel's captivity, during the exile unto the Babylonian Empire. Uh, This true account from a young man named Daniel, along with his friends, in their pursuit to serve God in a godless culture as they seek to thrive in Babylon. And so there's much for us to glean this morning. There's much for us to glean in this book um, and to glean from Daniel and his buddy's example, church family, that you might be challenged this morning by God's word and the Holy Spirit that lives within you to seek to serve God and to thrive in a godless culture. So, turning to Daniel, um, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're still turning there, you're like, Man, I don't know, there's Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then there's Daniel. If you, if you get to Hosea, you've gone too far, turn back. Okay? We're going to be in chapter 2, um, and we're going to be um, where we find ourselves in this incredible story. Uh, but before we do that, I want us to consider a question. I want us just to consider this question, that when we talk about people who are in our lives, and they make our lives a little difficult. We talk about people who are hard to love or hard to respect. Do I treat them as being made in the image of God? Do I show them respect? Do I express love when I speak about them to other people? In New Testament, In the New Testament, it's simplified in in the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Do we do that well? Well, when we dive into the Old Testament here, into these historical stories like that of Daniel here, we're introduced to some key players. If you grow up in the church at all, you, you know some key players in the Old Testament, and you learn a little bit about them, enough to know like, oh, this guy's bad guy. This guy, good guy, okay? Well, we're introduced uh, in chapter one to this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, and we met him in the past two weeks, Nebuchadnezzar. And yeah, he was this evil king, right? He deculturized nations, who, and, uh, which he came across as urgent. He came across as rash and cruel and prideful and, and oftentimes unrealistic, But he's not just some two-dimensional character. Nebuchadnezzar was a person. He's a historic human being who, who did a lot of good for his own people, his own nation, for his own kingdom. I'm not trying to paint a picture of him as this morally great guy, because he wasn't. But I want us to paint an accurate picture of who this guy is. And so if if you bear with me a little bit, I want us I want to paint a picture for us this morning is we're getting into our passage in chapter 2 of Daniel. And no, I'm not going to paint on an easel because it would look atrocious. We leave that up to Christy to do the painting, right? 
Um, but I want to paint with words what's going on leading up here to chapter 2. There's this giant rock hurtling through the sky. And it's coming and it's getting closer and closer, bigger and bigger as it approaches. And he views it from afar and it, it, it starts to be engulfed with flames. It punctures through the atmosphere and it comes hurtling towards him. You can see the sweat starting to, to beat up on his forehead and, and his hands start to tremor with fear as it fe- fills him deeply. He would watch this same thing play out day after day, night after night, sleepless nights as he closed his eyes to dream. This descending rock from the heavens would crush this giant metallic bright image before him and it would just disintegrate. He would jolt awake and wonder and he would ponder his dream. And being a very religious man, Nebuchadnezzar, named after the Babylonian god of wisdom and the son of the great high king of Babylon at the time, was quickly rising to power. As a captain of the army, Nebuchadnezzar rode through cities and villages, rising to power. He would destroy and decimate these places. And he would enslave the people. He was a hero to his nation. He was a great success among his people. Between him and his his king father, the Babylonian empire was rising. And then suddenly, as he was out conquering the known world, his dad dies. And at the young age of 30, Nebuchadnezzar is then put into power as king over this great kingdom. He's gripped with sadness and matched with the overwhelming responsibility of being crowned king. He ceases his conquest and he sits upon the throne in Babylon to rule. This, this incredibly beautiful city with its hanging gardens and its colorful architecture. It was all now under his protection. He was in power over all. And then there's this dream. This dream that keeps this all-powerful king up at night. It plagues his mind. For he didn't know the meaning. He couldn't recall all of the details of the dream. And in that time, because dreams were believed to be uh, the gods revealing these truths about the future coming events, Nebuchadnezzar was a religious man, and he was fearful at his core. Because this dream might tell of his defeat. It might tell of his death and his kingdom's destruction under his watch. And so he needed to know. And that's exactly where we pick up in chapter 2, verse 2. The king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. All these wise guys and these dream interpreters, they gather around the king in this great hall. 
And he tells them he has this troubling dream, and he needs to know what it means. So he instructs them to do two things here. First of all, tell me what the dream is, and then interpret it. Easy task, right? How you can do it? Yeah, thank you. Okay. If you ever have a dream and you need to know its interpretation or what it is, how's your guy? I'm sorry. <laughs> and so they're faced with, the, all these wise guys are faced with this task. The Chaldeans, these wise dudes, they're fancily dressed Babylonians who specialize in like magic and dreams and stuff. And, and so they're asked, and, and they then ask the king to tell them the dream so that we might interpret it for you. No, king, just, just tell us the dream so that we might interpret it for you. Maybe you misspoke, maybe we misunderstood what you said that first task was, because that's crazy. But the second piece we can do, right? But Nebuchadnezzar, wanting true and unbiased wise counsel concerning this dream, told him no. He said, my word is firm. You tell me the dream and the interpretation, or, as the passage says, you will be ripped limb from limb, and your house and your family will be destroyed. All right. That would be a bummer. So here's that urgent, that rash, that cruel, that prideful, that oftentimes unrealistic king that we talked about just a minute ago. But remember, Nebuchadnezzar was fearful. Fearful that this dream could mean his death. So he had to put their lives on the line to get true and sure counsel. He did, however, he gave an incentive, so it's not just death, but if you do the good thing and you do the two-task thing, okay, I'll give you gifts and great honor. So there's like no middle ground. It's the extremes. Well, you're done for, or hey, you're the best of the best. The wise guys pleaded with the king to tell them the dream. Please just tell us the dream so we can interpret this. Because there's no man on earth, it says, who can meet the king's demands, for no great king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. This is, the, this is only something the gods could reveal, not us mere mortals. Only something the gods could reveal, not us mere mortals. Nebuchadnezzar, he had enough. He was tired of this bantering, and so he just drew the line. He commanded that all his wise guys be killed. So now enters Daniel, and that's where we're here, okay? Now enters Daniel. Him and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were all in this three-year wise guy program at the Babylonian University, okay? And they're now being told that they're going to die because they're part of the wise guy clan, and all the wise guys need to Oh, good job, okay. See, in student ministry, we do that thing, and everybody's like, oh, okay. Oh! <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, so, <laughs> they get this news that they're going to be torn limb from limb, and they're going to be destroyed. It's not really a very uplifting piece of information for a 15-year-old Daniel to get while he's writing his dissertation. But as we've seen thus far, 
in our study of Daniel, and that we will continue to see Daniel and his friends are in Babylon. They are in it. They're immersed in it. The godless culture, and they're there to serve the one true and powerful God, Yahweh. And so as we see in this text this morning with Daniel's response to his impending doom, there's no fear. There's no reactive anger. There's no fleeing or complaining. Instead, Daniel asks the captain of the king's guard to just request a time slot in the king's calendar. I know he's busy, but can can we get a slot in the calendar where I can tell him his dream and interpret it? Okay, maybe, maybe you didn't hear. So he, he, he hears he's going to die, and then he goes to the king's guard and says, can I have some time in the king's hall to tell him the dream and the interpretation? Ha <laughs> yeah. Hey. He didn't consult God before this. It's not like he just knew the dream. He was going into this cold turkey, but he was bold in this. That's some bold stuff right here. Daniel's saying that he is going to do this thing that will not only save his life, but his friend's life, and then all the wise guys' lives before he even chats with God about it. That's some radical faith in the powerful God that he serves, right? But I think Daniel's great faith is well-informed from something that occurred uh, a year earlier, uh, which is just a chapter back, so you can flip one page back. In chapter 1, verse 17, it says, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And to Daniel, he gave understanding in all visions and dreams. So a year before, Daniel actually uses the gift God gives him. He's given this gift to interpret all dreams and visions. And so with boldness, he stands before this life-threatening piece of information. says, no, I can do it. God gave me this. I'm confident in what God has done in my life. Daniel understands Visions and dreams. And we aren't told maybe that uh, in the year that passed, this gift that God gave him wasn't practiced. We're not told if he practiced it or if he saw it in, in other situations. But we are told that he has this gift and obviously has the confidence in the Lord to use it. So Daniel then gets his appointment with the king for the following day, this only time slot the king had on his calendar to squeeze in between the kingdom ruling and the wise guys being about to be dismembered, right? And so it's this this one slot that Daniel gets. He gets into the courts and gathers all of the wise guys in the kingdom. But before that, Daniel gathers with his friends to pray. He has two responses when he's faced with his impending doom. He walks boldly in faith, and he prays. He walks boldly in faith, and then he prays. He prays that the Lord God would please reveal this mystery of the dream and the interpretation to him so that he might tell the king and save the lives. And it's when Daniel sleeps that night. 
that God reveals that dream and its interpretation to him in a vision. God answers Daniel's plea. And then the next morning, he gets up with his buddies. He's stoked. He just starts praising God. And we get this cool glimpse into him praising God in verses 20 through 23. Uh, Austin, would you be uh, willing to read verses 20 through 23 for us this morning? Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposits kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Mm, thanks, Austin. This 15-year-old dude praises God and thanks him for all that he is, all that he's done, and all that he's doing. Daniel walks boldly in faith. He prays to God and he praises God. Daniel's response to a scary situation is not fear, but rather confidence in his powerful and wise God. I love what this uh, commentator had to say um, for you and I today. Um, he says this, The world needs people who understand and can clearly state God's word to the world. Wherever God has placed you, remember this. He has a word to be made known. He's placed you in a line of work where others need to hear your voice. We are to speak up and speak out without fear. God took a conquered Hebrew prisoner of war and stood him confidently before the ruler of his own execution, a foretaste of what Jesus would later do for us, except that he is not only faced with death, but he endures execution. So God can certainly enable us as followers of Jesus to stare down death with poise and purpose. We truly have nothing to fear. Daniel the slave faces Nebuchadnezzar the king. Where there is no fear in Daniel, there is humility and willingness to speak truth. From Daniel's example, we can learn so much. So now for the dream. We're going to buckle down and we're going to bust through it, okay? So in verse 31 and following, this is the scene in the king's massive hall, surrounded by all these wise guys who are about to die really badly. It's this historic showdown of God's supreme authority and power over man's. Verse 31 Daniel says this, You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. And the head of this image was of fine gold, and its chest was of, uh, and arms of silver, its middle and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. 
As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff on the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them that could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. This was the dream told for the first time from the mouth of a 15-year-old slave. Everybody's just kind of in awe. Did he get it right? And then he gets into the interpretation. And interpreting dreams can go a slew of directions. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that, and that's why he was testing his wise guys. But when it comes to this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, there's only one explanation from verse 36. Now we will tell you, the king, this dream's interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. For you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be, divide, be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they won't hold together, just as iron cannot mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of the heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold." A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. There it is. In all its completeness and clarity, there it is. Because this is all the king needed to hear. We see his response in the following verses. But as a general statement, King Nebuchadnezzar is well pleased because this dream did not depict his death, nor the kingdom's end during his reign. He has no worries. What a relief, right? I don't have to worry anymore. I can sleep at night. But sadly, his understanding of the dream stops there. Because he's only concerned for his kingdom now. He misses out on the hope 
of what is to come. In the dream, this giant, bright, metallic, scary image, as it says, represents the great kingdoms that shall rule the earth from his time on. They are then destroyed by this stone cut by no human hand. Some scholars think that it's this like meteor that he's viewing coming in from the heavens that Nebuchadnezzar is seeing from his dream. And it wipes out all of man's kingdom and establishes a kingdom that will never end. This stone becomes a mountain representing the coming Messiah and God's kingdom. Jesus is that rock cut by no human hand. He comes to destroy the pride-filled kingdoms of the world, not through military power or political rule, as even the Jews thought when Jesus was there with them, but through this humble sacrifice on a cross for all people. It's Christ's work. It's what He did. His life, His death, His resurrection that saves sinners like you and like me from death. Jesus grants access to this new kingdom. Unlike any other kingdom that's ever existed on earth, God's kingdom grants citizenship to all who come, confess, and believe. He welcomes them in with open arms. Daniel chapter 2 is not only about competing kingdoms, but it's also about competing wisdoms. The wisdom of Babylon versus the wisdom of God. It's clear to see the wisdom of Babylon fails. And they're scared and terrified for their lives. But it's when the wisdom of Babylon failed, Daniel prayed, and the wisdom of God saved all all the wise guys from death. Life was granted to them because of God's work. Nothing that Daniel did, and he didn't take any credit for it. He gave it solely to Christ, or God in heaven, who he served. So, God's dream for the world communicated here is that all people and all nations will be saved from certain death and separation from him. The mystery of God's dream comes true through Christ alone. Christ, the solid rock on which we stand. Hurtling through the atmosphere to save us. Can't hear, get here quick enough. He loves you that much. So from Daniel 12 this morning, the cross of Christ and the kingdom of God are what it's all about. That's the hope. Where we find our hope today. So then, what now, church family? What are we going to do with this passage of Scripture? Chapter 2 is a long one. What are we going to do with this? We observed that Daniel walked boldly in faith. He prayed and he praised God when a scary situation was very present in his life. His response was not fear, but rather confidence in his powerful and wise God. So we're going to close a little bit differently this morning, okay? 
we're going to do it a little slightly youth group style, okay? I'm a youth pastor, I get to do that, right? I don't know. <laughs> I want us to kind of gather up where you're sitting with people you know, with people you don't know, and I promise they don't bite, okay? You're an amazing church family, okay? And there's going to be a, a question on the screen, and I want you to read through that question, and I want you to answer it with each other. It kind of holds accountability with each other. What will you do this week to make God's Word known in the places that He has you right now? Just like Daniel made God known in the place he had him in the godless Babylon. I want you to be specific. There's going to be music. It's not going to be this awkward silence, okay? There'll be music playing, so you can, you can go from a whisper to a full out, out loud talk, okay? And when you're done, I want you to then pray over it. I want you to invite God into your answers to these questions. And then we're going to close in worship and, and praise of God.